Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. A little bit of extra recap since we have a lot of new faces with us today. Uh, because we are in a large series that also has a sub-series and a bunch of stuff leading up to today, a bunch of stuff that, tomorrow, that we're going to which tomorrow. So let me just kind of branch this together. We've been in a series on discipleship now for about two years. Uh, discipleship just being a word of growing to be more like Jesus. Uh, who Jesus is, uh, we, I think we spent 14, 15 months just on biblical Jesus, uh, looking at how, how those things continue to play, how we help people behind us and our spiritual maturity be discipled as well. Uh, so we, we've looked at a large, vast variety of things. Right now, we're looking at the power and the perseverance and the guidance that we have through the Holy Spirit in our discipleship. Uh, the Holy Spirit is that part of God. Again, we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Doesn't make full sense. I fully get that, but we're going to understand it someday. But the Holy Spirit, that part of God that resides within us. During the church age, when Jesus ascended back into heaven until he comes back again, that's called the church age. And according to the scripture, when someone accepts Jesus as leader and forgiver in their lives, by acknowledging with the mouth he's the son of God, believing in the heart he died and rose again, say, you're God, I'm not, I'm following you, then we receive that part of God internally. That he becomes actually a part of us. That that's how intimate God wants to be with us. And with that time, we also have um, spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives us. Now, we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. I have different spiritual gifts and you have different spiritual gifts. And one of the things that's beautiful about this is that as we learn about these God-given supernatural capacities that we can grow within, and we learn about each other's, then we start seeing how community comes into play even more so as we all are needed to be able to take care of the needs of each other and the world around us. Does that make sense with me so far? Yeah. I have just covered about two years worth of stuff. So if it doesn't make sense, go back, check out the podcast. They're all on the website or you can get through iTunes, whatever, to be able to look at some of those things. We spent two weeks just on the Holy Spirit. Now we're spending time on spiritual gifts. And as we've been looking at spiritual gifts, we've been looking at what they are and what they are not. We're looking about how um, they should work and how we're designed to, to grow within them and use them together to fill the needs, of the, uh, again, of the saints and for those that are in the world. Uh, we also looked at how they've been abused and how people abuse spiritual gifts. Uh, and so now what we're getting into is a spe specific grouping of gifts that we're calling the team ministry gifts. There was the miraculous gifts, you remember that? The more, more the, the, the uh, healing and the speaking of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Uh, wisdom, those type of things. There were the others that they're empowering gifts. Right now we're looking at the team uh, spiritual gifts and how they work together. And so uh, actually we'll put this up on the screen for you with Lisa's help. This is the plan. And you know how I am with plans. If the Holy Spirit interrupts, he's going to interrupt. So I don't know this exactly how it's going to go, but this is our, our, our plan at this point is that starting this week and going over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be looking at those gifts more in depth. We have given basic descriptions of them in the, the last couple of uh, studies, but we're going to look at two a week uh, from the standpoint of testimonies within the scripture so we can see them in action. So we're going to look, look at those. The thing that's really kind of cool about this too 
is working with Jessica, our, uh, our kids minister. Um, the youth group is in here, as many Sundays as we can, we love to see them. Uh, and they're going to be continuing this once they start youth group back up mid-September. Um, but you, the youth is getting it with you guys on the gifts. The kids are actually going through a kid version of the exact same people that we're studying here in the church. Uh, so today we're going to study uh, two different um, people from the scripture. They're studying the exact same ones and getting the, the exact same lessons, but on their level. So the reason I would share that with you is because parents talk to your kids about what you're learning. There's, there's a reason we're doing that. We want this to be a, a group dialogue. Uh, then September 17th to September 23rd is when we'll actually do assessments. Do you remember I asked you to forget any previous assessment to have? Do you remember I asked you to forget any previous assessment to have? Why? Right. I don't want you focusing when we go through the gifts on what your gift is yet because we're a community. We have to understand each other's gifts as well as our own. So then we'll start doing assessments. That's going to be online. It'll be free to you. Uh, you can do them in the comfort of your home or however you want to do it. If you do not um, like to mess with the Internet, whoever that might be, Pat Gass, then you just let me know. <laughs> we know. We know. But if you don't like to mess with the Internet, please let me know like this week so I can order you a hard copy form of it so you have that for the home. Uh, and then on the 24th is small group day. That's the day I've, I shared last week. If you can be here, be here. That is when we're going to bring all of it together, together. Uh, we talked about online. There'll be a few things to leave, but we're not going to be online um, much past worship that week. It's all in-house. It's built for in-house. Uh, so if you can be here, please be here, because that's going to be a pretty pivotal day. So that's where we're at. We're kind of in the middle of these things, and then we'll kind of start working towards the epistles. So we're going to start today with what we're starting today. We're going to tackle two of them today. We're going to start uh, the evangelist, and we're going to study the prophet. So we'll start out with the evangelist. Lisa. Uh, Philip. How many people know who Philip is? Not, Philippi not Philippians. How many people know Philip? Anybody? A few people? A few people? It's not a um, lot on Philip in the scripture, but uh, it's pretty poignant on what he does, and I like Philip quite a bit. Uh, the, the, one of the mentions I gave you here on Acts 21, uh, verse 8, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Syria, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. There are three very interesting facts within that scripture, and we're going to unpack them as we go along. But the first one is this. If we're talking about the spiritual gift of evangelism, Philip is the only one in the scripture that is ever named an evangelist. He's the only one that's named an evangelist. He is very well known. He has grown in his capacity of the spiritual gift of evangelism. Again, as we talked about before, if you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, that's the lens you use on how you see the world in a supernatural way that you can grow beyond what you normally would be without the Spirit's help. That does not mean that not all of us evangelize. All of us have the Great Commission. All of us, and then Matthew, Jesus tells us to take and lead people to the Lord, baptize them, and teach each other uh, and discipleship to grow, to be able to follow his commandments so that we don't go in the ditch. That's all of our role. So all of us evangelize, but we're talking about the supernatural gift of the natural tendency of evangelism. And Philip really marks that well to the point that, again, he's the only one that's called evangelist. Kind of like uh, Barnabas in Acts. If you ever studied Barnabas, uh, he is uh, not named Barnabas in his regular life. That's not his name, but Barnabas means the uh, encourager. And the apostles started calling him Barnabas because he was such an encouraging person. That's, that's, it was an honor 
for him to be named that above and beyond what we saw within the church at the time. So, so Philip definitely is a good one for us to be able to study. So I'm going to direct your attention. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out to his testimony. We're going to go to Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to go. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to get the main testimony that we find of Philip. Um, now, several things have happened up to this point. There is uh, a special group that was put together. The second interesting fact of that verse we just went through is it says he was one of the seven. Anybody know what the one of the seven means? No. No, okay. They did. They did. Because it was, it was a very, in that time, that was a very famous movement of God that the people knew from uh, Pentecost. When Pentecost happened and Peter did his, his sermon and the Holy Spirit showed up and 3,000 people came to the Lord the first day and they were adding their numbers daily, uh, it became massive really, really fast. Went from 140 to 3,000 to keep on adding that these 12 guys were trying to manage. And in it, uh, some of the widows were being overlooked when it came to the distribution of food. Not because of they were prejudiced against them or anything else, not, nothing malice. It just was too much too fast. And so the apostles came up with the plan that we should not stop teaching, but somebody's got to be over the needs of the people. And so they put together a proposal that they would pick seven people that were Christians, that were solid, that matched up to um, what we've seen now in uh, Titus and in First Timothy, uh, the descriptions of, of deacons. And they uh, put them into place over top of the distribution of food. And everybody thought that was awesome. That was awesome. And Philip was one of those seven that was chosen. Does that make sense? So everybody knew about the seven. He was one of those who were picked by the apostles very, very early on. Uh, one of the other ones that was picked, his name was Stephen. And that's who we name our Stephen Fund after. The fund that we purposely put away a certain percentage of all giving to the Stephen Fund that helps people uh, in need in our community. And... Uh, he was famous because he was the first martyr. Because of his ministry with the seven, uh, they didn't like him very much, and they arrested him because of his ministry, nothing that he, else that he had done. Uh, he's got an incredible testimony in, verse, I think, chapter 5, chapter 6, if you want to read that when you get home. Uh, he was stoned to death, killed for his ministry, and that started a persecution. And with the persecution means they had to scatter. And what we find in this particular case is that Philip was uh, scattered as well, and he went to Samaria. The thing that's kind of cool about that is, you remember the other thing Jesus said right before he left? Go to Jerusalem, go to Samaria, go to Judea, go to all the ends of the earth. When they first had Pentecost, they stayed in Jerusalem. If you have to watch it kind of closely. The reason they went to Samaria is because they were persecuted. It's almost like God saying, guys, <laughs> let's get out of the home base here. And if you read it, it also takes and says when with the persecution they went to Judea and when they went to the rest of the world is because of persecution, hardship is what spurred them on. And he went to Samaria. And what we find right before this is that in Samaria, in the towns that he was preaching in, everybody got on board. People were saved left and right. It was a great revival that this evangelist was leading. And it, according to the scripture, it was great joy in all the city. If, if you want to look at that, that's verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. So there was a great revival going on. And then came time for a change. And that's where we're going to start picking it up, reading a little, talk a little, and see what we see about this, uh, this evangelist. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
This is a desert place. So he's being told to, to move on. Now, he, at this point, he's going out of Samaria towards Jerusalem, and he's hitting every, according to what says here, he's hitting all the little towns on the way, evangelizing. The angel shows up, and I, I want you to kind of keep that in mind, because there's some different verbiage in here that kind of lets you know some, some visual wordplay. Angel shows up and tells him, God wants you to take this road down to Gaza. And so he does. Um, I saw, what was it, this, this week, bless you, two weeks ago, had, uh, was listening to, who's the lead singer of Casting Crowns? Mark something. Yeah, that, that's perfect. Mark it is. Mark it is. Uh, but he was talking about the new song, Desert Song. Has anybody heard that? It's just been out the last couple of weeks. And I like Casting Crowns. I think their songs are more like mini sermons than they are like other songs. They're very impactful for a very short amount of time. Uh, Jenny and I like them because back when we had the bookstore, we met them before their first CD came out. Uh, and they were just and like nobody cared about them <laughs> and, and their little booth. To the point, Jenny literally sent me things like, hey, I just met the nicest band. No one's talking to them. You should go over and encourage them. Like nobody had an idea. So I went over, nicest people in the world, nicest people in the world. Two years later, Nashville, the CDs come out. They've blown up, met with them again, nicest people in the world. I have nothing bad to say about Casting Crowns in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I kind of disagree with him on something when it comes to the Desert Song. He was saying that song was inspired by this particular scripture, that the way that he visualizes it is when Philip was in Samaria and they're having the revival and God calls him to go to the desert, that that would be disappointing for Philip. And, but he, he did it in obedience anyways. Uh, I don't see it that way because an evangelist, being in a town where everybody's already saved, that's not much of what your heart's about. So me personally, I, I think that he was, he's ready to go. And as we'll see here in this next verse, there was no hesitancy, no hesitancy. Verse 27, Philip rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Now, that sounds like a lot, but from what we know from church history, this guy's story goes on to impact because of his influence in this particular role, all of Africa. It's, it's a really thing, interesting thing to, to study if you want to look at it. But for today, I'll with my scope. Uh, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he's not a Gentile. I mean, not, not a Jewish person. Not one God's chosen, but he's, he's trying to figure out this God thing. He comes to Jerusalem to worship, very long trip. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over there and join this chariot. Now, keep note, this isn't an angel showing up. This is a prompting, which we'll talk about. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Okay, I don't have these points up on the screen, but I'm going to say them kind of slowly for our note takers, for those who like to take notes. There's many things that just happened in that paragraph that I think are pretty much the bomb. And I think it comes very, very naturally to Philip because he has the spiritual gift of evangelism, but I think it's things that we can learn from in our own evangelism as well. The very first thing is he was making sure he's on God's path. He wasn't on his path. His goals was to go back to Jerusalem. But he's on God's path. God says, we're going to do something else. He says, okay, I'm in. Let's go do something else. And when he's on God's path, there's got to be a reason you're on God's path. So he's looking. He's on God's path, and he's looking around to see what is going on here. For me, in my limited way of thinking, and we'll talk about this as well, I think, oh, I wonder what God has for me in Gaza, and not pay a lot of attention to the road. That's not what Philip was doing. He was watching for every, everything that was going on around him, and then he followed the prompting. Follow the prompting. 
The reason why I want to overshow that the Holy Spirit's prompting is because if I had an angel show up and he showed me ID and I know he's an angel and he told me something, you're going to do it, right? Right? And I think we really wish we had those kind of experiences. You know, I wish I had a Moses bony bush experience where God tells me everything is going to happen for the next six months. It'd be so much easier. But we generally are led by promptings. So it does not say here the Holy Spirit showed up in a manifested way and said, I want you to go talk to this man. It is a prompting, something in his heart that says, I think I need to go talk to that person. There's something going on here that seems like the Spirit's doing something. That's what we have to learn to get better at praying for, recognizing, and following, is following those promptings. Um, so he follows the prompting, and uh, he doesn't just follow the prompting. How does it say he did it? He ran. As soon as he felt the prompting, he's not second-guessing it or wondering if it was a bad burrito moment and he was just imagining things. It's just he ran. Uh, and then he, um, he created the conversation. Now, creating the conversation, again, is very easily for someone that has a spiritual gift of evangelism. It's not always easy for the rest of us, but it's so, so pivotal that we grow in this. Um, he asked a question. He didn't just jump up in the chariot and said, Hey, Holy Spirit just talked to me that I have to talk to you and I have to fix you. That wouldn't have been the best start. He created a conversation. Like, do, do you understand what, what that is or what that means? Uh, and then the guy invited him in. No, how, how can I? Well, I think that's what I'm here for. Um, we have those opportunities all around us. If you, uh, let, let's say you're at, um, uh, I'm going to say Carlisle's. One of my favorite people from Carlisle's is here, so I'm going to say Carlisle's. So you're at Carlisle's. If you haven't been to Carlisle's for a while, you should even if they did pepper spray shill. The, oh, another story. No, it's more fun if I don't. Do you think I should explain that? Leave them wondering. So she and I were supposed to meet at Carlisle's one day, and then I pull up, she's sitting outside, there's a bunch of people outside, I'm like, oh, great, they're packed, that's okay, we'll wait, and I pull up, and one of the, the other waitresses that, that I know came out, and she's like, hey, something's going on, we've got like a really weird smell like reaction thing going on in the restaurant we made everybody evacuate and i'm like okay so we uh we jump in my car and we move on to our, our meeting and uh i thought it was uh now i forget, i'm bad with names is it kobe kobe i thought it was kobe's clone i just figured i told you next time like you shouldn't wear that anymore uh but what happens not just a weird smell but like show i think was the first cough of the group not feeling right, and other people start coughing and everything else, so no one knows what it is. What it ended up being is there's a gun store right beside it, and um, somebody accidentally triggered their alarm, and with their alarm, I've never heard of this before in my life, when the alarm is triggered, it fills the store with pepper spray. <coughs> Poor Cheryl. Cheryl's the first to be pepper sprayed. I think I was saying a point of some sort earlier. Let's see. No, let's say you're Carlisle's. And you notice somebody sitting at uh, another table, and they're reading a book, and they just seem really somber. And you just kind of have this feeling like maybe something's there. You know, like maybe they're going through a tough time or whatever the case may be. Um, what a lot of people do is they either, most people, I think, psych themselves out and just like, well, I can't say anything. I don't want to say something. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to interrupt at lunch, da, da, da. Uh, if you're acting with an evangelist heart, then as you're walking by, you might say, hey, what are you reading? I noticed you were reading a book, it seems like you're really into it. And that might not sound like that much, but I can't tell you how many conversations I've gotten with people with that, 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 that exact line. You know, I was to, 
it's a book of Christianity, I've been trying to figure out this, I've been trying to figure out that, oh, how's that going? And you end up having a conversation. Now, some people are going to say, get away from me or whatnot. I'm, that, that happens. But you open the door and then you see how they respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Um, actually, uh, I've shared this several times, that's how Chris Reed and I became friends. Uh, Chris Reed was working at Pizza Hut and I was going to that Pizza Hut on purpose as to establish relationships from an outreach standpoint. And she was working there and I was, re I was the one reading the book. And there, there was a Christian book and she came over and, she, and you guys know Chris, Chris is a pretty uh, gruff type personality. She's like, what are you reading? Told her, got to talking about it. And Chris and I have been friends ever since. It's been about 16, 17 years now that she's been coming to the church and we've been friends. Uh, it's just amazing the little things that you can say that bring up a conversation. Um, one thing that we find when we're evangelizing, especially evangelists, is um, there is no such thing as a lack of opportunities because you follow the Holy Spirit to open opportunities. That's, that, that's what the evangelist does. And that's what, that's what he has done here when he's joined the conversation, which we'll pick up at 32. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before a chair is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Uh, if you wanted to, you could open your Bibles up to Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, and you could read exactly what he was reading. This is words that obviously are talking about Jesus that were written 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So he's reading this particular scripture, and it's kind of throwing him a little bit. So in verse 34, the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and be beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's what evangelist does. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is where it gets crazy. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, We'll pretend. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Okay, so as he continues on, what does he do? He answers the questions, how? He builds it on the scripture. You might uh, build on questions through your testimony. You might uh, build on it through the gospel, just speaking about the gospel. But, he, but everything has to go back to the scripture. If the scripture is 100% truth and the scripture is our, our foundation, that's where he starts from, and that's very easily uh, done for someone who has evangelism as a spiritual gift, and they have grown within it. Then the young man gets saved. Now, where do I pull that from? It depends on what translation you got in front of you. Okay? Some of you guys might see verse 37 there and thought that I skipped it because I stopped and talked for a second and lost my place. Others of us, like me with the ESV, do not have 37 referenced there in any way, shape, or form until you get to the bottom of the page. Here's why, I mean, and this is very important we know this because some people twist it to take in trash on translation saying that they're, they're wrong because they dropped this or they dropped that or they're ignoring this. Many translations will reference a verse at the bottom if it's not in all of the early manuscripts. 
we do not have the original manuscripts. We have copies of copies. So when John wrote his letter, they made copies of copies of copies of copies, not with a copier, but with detailed work to send them out to the churches. And we have multiple copies, early, early copies of all the books that we have in the scripture. If for some reason there's a verse that's in some of those manuscripts and not in others, like the ESV, they move it to the bottom and say, this is not in all those manuscripts. So we can't say for certain, is this original in its scripture or not, so that you can use your discernment and the Holy Spirit and judge it appropriately. The thing that's awesome about that is everything on the top of the page is 100% matching after manuscript, after manuscript, after manuscript, after manuscript, after manuscript. That's how reliable the Bible is. I love that. So, if you have verse 37, either at the middle or the top, what does 37 say? It says, if you, that Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So, I believe it was there. Only because baptism happens when? After you accept Jesus as leader and forgiver in your life. I believe he accepted Jesus because he didn't know who he was five minutes ago. Now, all of a sudden, he has accepted Jesus as leader, forgiven his life, and he is baptized. By the way, baptism is not something that is needed for salvation, according to my understanding of the scripture, but it is needed to be faithful to the Lord. That the Lord calls us to baptism. Uh, we have baptisms coming up in three weeks. Uh, Adam, getting baptized in a few weeks. Uh, I think it's September 10th. Am I right? 10th? 10th? Does that sound right? Melinda Isles, uh, who is at work today, but she's going to be there that day for, uh, to be baptized as well. So if you've not followed Jesus in baptism, uh, or if you did at a very young age and had no clue what was going on, but mommy and daddy had the Kodak camera moment, uh, touch base with me as well. I'd love to talk to you about that as well. So he's baptized. So he's leading. The evangelist is leading him from a lack of knowledge, but a desire, but a lack of knowledge to salvation, to baptisms. And then the baffling moment is when they come up, Philip literally disappears, and the eunuch went away rejoicing where I would have been peeing my pants. He literally gone, just gone. And this guy goes on, like I told you, has incredible testimony of his own as he goes on, but Philip finds himself in Aztus, and then he uh, passed it, and they continue to preach all the way up to Caesarea. Do we have that map loaded? Yeah, okay, so here's the thing, it's kind of cool, and it's a nice little side point for you. So he's in Samaria, He's taking the road to Gaza. Now, the road to Gaza goes down this way, and then Gaza's down here. As he goes, he gets the guy that the chariot. When he disappears, he shows up in this little town here, and he goes this way through the little towns, taking and evangelizing, ends up in Caesarea. That's the third interesting factor that first verse we looked at. Why well, he's an evangelist, he sure does love the, the, the travel, but it was this that led him to his home base where he's now living in Caesarea and hosting the apostles. Here's the thing that's cool. And, and it's so important for us to remember this. God told him to head on this road to Gaza with no intent of him ever reaching Gaza. And the reason why that's important to me, because it used to baffle me, let's say you take a new job because you're convinced God you've led you to that job and it's going confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. And I promise I'm not going to take as long on the second one, so you guys will get lunch today. Uh, and you're there for six months, and it's just a nightmare. From the beginning, just a nightmare. And another job comes up, and you feel God's leading you there, and so you go there. And I've seen people really shaken by stuff like that and just be like, what the world was that? One, why would God put me in? So one, you might, might have had to learn some things through that season. It's very possible. But one thing I've learned about God is there's times he puts us someplace 
for not the reasons we assume that it's supposed to be happening that way. Uh, I've talked to people, I was like, so was there anything good that happened out of that? Well, no, not really. I hated everybody. All annoying is all get out. Um, but there's this one guy, I kind of liked him, but he was going through a tough time. And uh, I, I still get to see him because I invited him to church. He's been coming to church. Things have been going a lot better for him. But besides that, duh, why do you think he sent you there for six months? For that one guy. For that one guy. I got a job one time when uh, I was part-time at a church. And I took a job in an office space. I, I don't like working in office spaces. I like this office because it makes fun of all the stuff I hate working in an office, especially in the gossip end of things. But I took this particular role because there was 100 people that worked for the company. Uh, 99 of them were in the paper department end of things. It was medical billing. And one was on the digital side of things. And I was the one. So I got my own space, and I was away from everybody else. I was so thrilled just to pay the bills for a year with this job. But we were also in a temporary housing uh, while they were building the new building. And there was only room for uh, the copy machine for all the people that did paper. Uh, was in my office. So everybody was constantly going to my office, and everybody was got. Every, but I'll tell you, as soon as they found out I was a youth pastor, the conversations I had were phenomenal. Were phenomenal. Uh, I didn't enjoy the job that much, but I know that God uses us where he puts us. And so that's what's something that we have here with Philip as well. So again, he was shot over. He kept on doing his work, and he goes up, up to Caesarea Way. So with that, I need uh, David. Now see, David. Okay, but here's a, I was going to make Matthew do this too, but Matthew's not here. I don't feel like being, picking on Charlie. Um, and normally I pick on, you know, we talked about this, because you always sit right in my eye line, so I end up picking on you, and I don't want to do that today. So, Allie? No, Allie. 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 This is not, you're not doing anything on stage. Oh, my gosh. I, you're right. Go ahead and sit back down. <laughs> sit back down. Sit, no, sit back down. I'm not bringing up the Bengals up on stage. Who do we want, David? <laughs> Nate, you can do this with your son. Okay. Come on, boy. I was going to say. You were go I knew you were going to say. I was trying to keep you out of trouble. Okay. Everybody, from that eye over, gets one of those, and you're also in charge of sound booth. Okay. Ready? Go. Guess which side you get. You got it. <laughs> Okay, so here's what I'm going to hand out to you. Uh, in an essence of time, and since we're trying to understand each other's gifts as well as others, this is uh, out of that book I talked talk to you about uh, that I'm relying uh, on as one of my main study guides right now, which is the Team Ministry Gifted to Serve. Um, and it goes through, if you're an evangelist or if you want to understand an evangelist better, the characteristics of an evangelist, the burdens uh, and the strengths and the desires that evangelists have, uh, special needs and the weaknesses, of those that are evangelists, every gift also comes with weaknesses um, that you need to be aware of so we can work on those and strengthen those. Um, how the evangelist is misunderstood, how Satan attacks people with this gift, and where to use this gift. And I'll let you use that with your personal studies at home, but while we pass out, I'll just give you a couple of bullet points. Evangelist uh, it comes from the Greek word that means proclaim good tidings, a messenger of good, makes sense. And when you have the evangelism uh, gift, you're going to have a lens to uh, confront and minister to the lost. That's how you see everything. It's just how do I, I reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Uh, spiritual maturity is a must for all of these, but spiritual maturity is absolutely a must for evangelism. Uh, people that, thank you, David. Thank you, Nate. Uh, those who, uh, uh, 
Let's read up. Let's have, they got one. Okay, good. Three. Uh, what? Huh? Yeah, no, I'm getting way too much information at one time. There we go. Thank you, Nick. Um, so with that, um, here's, here's a challenge. Just off to the side, if you would. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nate. Um, here, here's the reason why, and you've seen this many, many times, and you've not, maybe not put it together this way. Evangelists, uh, people that have that tendency, want to save everybody very, very quickly, uh, but they don't always have the maturity behind it. And when that happens and we fail, we lead many more people away from Christ than we do to Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, for instance, if you saw the documentary not too long ago on Hillsong, uh, and especially Hillsong, New York, uh, in the church, we seem to have a, a problem. We're trying to get 30-year-old uh, GQ models uh, that are very charismatic up on stage as quickly as possible that don't have the same maturity level as people that are, that are older who have been in it for a while, and they usually get too much influence too fast, and then it crashes. And that happened with that particular church, uh, and it devastated many, many people. Uh, if you look at uh, this week, I saw uh, this come back up in my age, uh, a book that was popular by, I personally didn't like it that much, but it was called uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. Uh, anybody remember that? Okay, so a few of us remember that. Uh, became hugely popular. He started the church, a big man of church, everything else. Uh, a couple years ago, he uh, disavowed the book, apologized for the book. A year later, he uh, disavowed Christianity, lost his wife, or divorced his wife, and she now has a ministry, ministering to people who have been... Uh, abused spiritually by, by husbands. Th these things come into place when we don't have the maturity to back up uh, what we're called to. When we look at Philip, he was called to be a disciple. He had no evidence uh, sin that he was living in. Again, we all struggle with sin, but he's not living in a sin. Uh, we, we see a man that has a maturity that he can lead people and have the foundation for them to believe him. Does that make sense? Uh, when I was arrested in my early 20s for stealing from a pizza place. You guys have all heard that story, most of you have. If not, ask me later, but buy me lunch. Uh, and it, it, it was, I was leading people to church and, and salvation while I was stealing money out of, the, out of the, the cash register. And that was my biggest hood is that I was a hypocrite to these people. And there's people still today that won't speak to me because of that time 30 years ago. Um, so it, it creates a great, great impact. If, we don't have, if you ha find that you have the evangelism spirit, you've got your testimony, tell people all about it. You've got the gospel, tell everybody about it. Get a mentor and learn how to grow spiritually so that you have the foundation that God has intended you to have. So th those are a few uh, side notes. Mentorship is really, really important. If you're an evangelist, you have a spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by communicating with people who are beyond your natural sphere of influence and lead them to Jesus. Now, before we put up on the screen, let's go talk about profit. Anybody want to guess who I'm going to talk about? Profit. Who's it going to be? Elijah. Good guess. No. Isaiah. Good guess. No. Ah, we're thinking very OT. We're thinking very OT. Huh? Jonah's very OT. But no, I just talked about it a couple weeks ago. Okay, Lisa, let's kill the suspense. Don the Baptist. So if you would, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go over to Matthew 3. I think I forgot to mention earlier, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are all Bibles in the baskets underneath the chairs around the room that you can keep, borrow, or still. Uh, and the new version of the app is up and running today. If you don't, that means 
I'll be telling you about it right after I tell you about my time of being arrested while you buy me me jalapenos. Prophet, John the Baptist, Matthew 3 is where we're headed. Uh, if you don't know a lot about John the Baptist, I'll just give you a couple of details about him. Um, John the Baptist is a relative, a blood relative of Jesus Christ. And he is the full runner, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes as well. Jesus was not the only one that was prophesied about, but so was his uh, cousin John the Baptist. So starting with chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to pick up some things about, about him. So, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So, if you wanted to read that, Isaiah 40, verse 3 is that verse. It's the exact same voice that they had back then. It was written 2,000 years before John the Baptist was born and 2,000 years before Jesus was born. But very evidently talking about John the Baptist. And he gives this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because as we talked about, prophets care about getting sin out of people's lives. He is a prophet. This is, this is his spiritual gift that he is building off of. The other thing I think is kind of cool about the whole John Baptist thing is that he's been foretold. The prophet has been prophesied those 2,000 years before. I think that's kind of cool. So one time we see the, the Old Testament version of prophecy and the New Testament version of prophecy as far as the majority of it, because uh, both still exist, but where the spotlights are, uh, is here with John the Baptist, where he was foretold and now he is foretelling. Keep in mind, Old Testament prophecy is mostly, not all, mostly uh, foretelling. It's talking about the future. It's talking about Dan Daniel. Um, for, for instance, Isaiah, for instance, where we're seeing these prophecies now being fulfilled. Um, but it's also foretelling. New Testament, for the majority, it's more foretelling than it is foretelling. It's not so much about the future as much as it is saying, that's sin, that's not, in a very black and white way, and caring about taking sin out of people's lives. That's what we see with John the Baptist and several others. John still had the prophecy of Revelation. And then the church aid. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying for the most part, uh, I was just asked this week by somebody like, hey, does that really happen where they're telling somebody about their future and avoid the guy? The, yeah, but that's not the main, main way that it's used today. And you have to be very cautious of that. You have to use discernment, find confirmation on those type of things. Um, I mean, the Bible itself is very clear not to have anything to do with fortune tellers or not to have anything to do with mediums. Uh, it does not say that they don't work because Satan has his own things that he's got going on. But I have nothing to do with them. Uh, if you do a Google search, Leviticus, I have, yeah, Leviticus 1931 is an example. Uh, our future is in the hands of God, period. Leave it to the hands of God. We're not supposed to have anything to do with that. So yeah, that can get some mucky water. So make sure that you're looking for confirmation. Make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Make sure it's discernment. But most, and how we're going to study it today, is going to be with prophecy as far as foretelling that we see here. Verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Please be sure that the reason Matthew gave us these details is so that you know John is weird. <laughs> this is not normal attire. This is not normal eating. It's just he's letting you know that prophets a lot of times are kind of seen as oddballs because of the way they see, see things. Uh, he doesn't care about the things of the world. It's just not, not something he's worried about. His, his worry is about to get the sin out of people's lives. Verse 5, then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Slightly different baptism than what we're going to be doing here in two weeks. Slightly different baptism. It's not where the eunuch had accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven his life, then got baptized to show what was done, because Jesus, to this point, has not been killed and has not been risen from the dead. This is a baptism for repentance. This is people coming to prepare their hearts for what's coming with Jesus. This is them getting rid of sin. This has never happened before. What John is doing in the wilderness is not something that's happening in the church anyplace else. The closest thing we have is a purity ritual that happened in the synagogue for purity's sake, but it was not emotion baptism. This is God having John do something different to shake things up to prepare them for Jesus who is to, who is to come. And we're going to find that for this weird guy that's out there taking a calling out sin, that people responded to him in different ways. When it comes to the prophet, if you are open-minded Christian to somebody that is, has the gift of prophecy, you will receive what they say, discern it, look for confirmation, and then move forward as the Spirit moves it forward. You will not just say, oh, you're a prophet? I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. The world's going to end on September 10th? Sweet. By the way, if it ends on September 10th, I want credit for that. <laughs> just saying. But that's not how it works. You, you, you're, looking, you're looking for, you're saying I'm sinning? I discern that. I receive that. You know what? You're right. I've gotten so comfortable with that. I haven't dealt with it, so now I'm going to deal with it. Or close-minded people are going to either rebel or reject it, period. Because we don't always want to submit to what God has for us, even though he has for us better, but we're, we're crazy like that. Uh, in this case, we get a little bit of both. We've got all the people coming from all over the city and all over the country to see him and to repent of their sins. But then in verse 7, literally starts with the word but, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the baptism, if you're not familiar, that's the, the pastors of the time. The religious leaders of the time are coming. He said to them, you brought a vipers. The worst words are always reserved for those who claim to re represent God but don't. And we find that in Scripture. It's not towards sinners. It's to, to its hypocrites. You bought the vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. We're Jewish, so, you know, we're in. We're fine. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear uh, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Have a nice day. Do you see how the prophet speaks? The prophet has no care for how other people feel about what he's saying. He only cares if he's speaking the truth. The prophet is not there as one that holds your hand. He is one that smacks your hand so that you recognize the sin because the sin brings conviction, and conviction should immediately lead you to grace and accepting the grace of Jesus Christ so that you can live in freedom from that sin. Conviction is never any place that we're supposed to live in. Guilt's not some place we're supposed to live in. It leads us to freedom. And that's what the prophet says. I want to shock value you to get to, you, to where you need to be to be able to have this. So he was calling them out for the religious standing, even though I don't like that, how some people see that word, instead of the, the relationally following the Lord. And 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquestionable fire. This is why he does what he does. This is what prophets do when they do. They're going to point out sin for repentance so that you can have freedom from that sin. They're going to make sure that the sin is called out 
uh, doesn't always make them popular, and they're going to point people away from hell. Prophets do not point people to Jesus and to heaven. I shouldn't say Jesus, to heaven. That's what the evangelist does. This is where the gospel message brings you to. The prophet is more spurred by the negative and saying, I really don't want you to go to hell. hell it, it, it destroys me that you're not dealing with the sin in your life or giving your life to Jesus Christ. It's a little bit of a, of a different motivation. So, Ali's still not helping me? Oh, my gosh. Nate, sorry, you're going to have to do it again. Come on, David. Huh? It's up to you. You want to, you want to mess it up? Which way do you want to go? Which up one? to you. <laughs> Give this only to the men in the church. Give this only to the women. <laughs> it makes it so much harder. <laughs> oh, they thought they were about to go get lunch. Didn't happen. Okay, so here... Same things on these sheets, just from the different standpoint. I suggest that you hold on to them, so you will have a collection by the end. Um, Is so, it smallest you could make it? No, I could make it smaller. You spiteful, spiteful woman. You got to think about how much room's on that paper. Magnifying glasses. By the way, we're starting a uh, reading glasses ministry here at the Shepherd's Fellowship for all the wonderful young people. That complain and moan. Get a magnifying glass. Get a mag. The lens of the prophet is the lens of the prophet. They see everything from this standpoint. Sin is the great cause of our suffering and needs to be pointed out so others can repent, receive grace, and have freedom from sin. Uh, the prophet will spawn some people onto action. Uh, how are we doing up here? What's going on up here? My gosh, are you guys still going about the? If you guys could just wait here, what can I point out for you? What can I? I'll just sit with you and read it to you. you won't be able to read no, I can't sit anyways. You guys got tissues there. Thank you, David. Thank you, Nate. Anybody not get one? Okay. Brent, you didn't get one? Who was on men? David, who was on men? I didn't see you. The guy next to me. It probably saved your stress. Everybody else doesn't like it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going back to the scripture if anybody doesn't mind. But the prophet will spur some people to action and other people to anger, which we saw there. But it's actually, uh, does anybody remember how John the Baptist died? He's beheaded. He was beheaded. Do you know why? He's calling out sin. He's calling out sin. Uh, I'm just going to call him Herod, but Herod was a royal official at the time that was uh, taken, and he had divorced his wife, and his sister-in-law divorced his brother, and they were together living in sin, and uh, John the Baptist called it out. And even though Herod really, really liked him, oh my gosh. I, I really confused it too much. Huh? I think I should have just made paper airplanes. I confused everybody. I'm sorry. But, but so he was living in sin, and he really liked John the Baptist, but he couldn't have him calling him out in sin in front of people, and he did not want to fix the sin. So that's why he was arrested, and then later he was manipulated into killing John. So that's the reason why we lose that. But you find that today. Prophets will either uh, be loved or they will be hated. Uh, challenge for prophets is to keep the spirit of 100% love and 100% truth. You guys remember that? 100% love, 100% truth. We have to have both. We can't do one and, one and some of the others. We've got to have both there. And the prophets tend to do a little bit 
uh, stronger with the truth than they do love. Uh, they have concern over other people's spiritual sin, and it will spur them to either confront the sin, pray over the sin, or even weep over other people's sin because it hurts them so much of what's happening in their lives. Prophets are given a spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God boldly and fearlessly, proclaiming God's truth. These are our first two spiritual gifts that we're going to be looking at together. The evangelist is the one that takes and tells people how to find salvation, and the prophet is the one that comes in and helps them into purity within that new relationship with, within. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about teachers. So now that we are moving sin out of our lives, the teachers are the ones that come in and teach us what the scripture says, what this new life looks like. And then we'll also talk about people with exhortation, which are people who help you take scripture and make it make sense into our day-to-day -day life is what we're digging into next. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.